Hey, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get started, I want to encourage you to go listen to the previous episode all about panting and stocking with Scarter Belt. Um, it's it, it worth listening to that episode. If you haven't seen that show, it's actually dubbed on in English even on um, Crunchyroll, so you can go check it out now. Um, if you could also share the podcast with anybody you think might be interested, we are so close to hitting um, 100,000 plays. And I would love, I'd just love to have that happen. I'd just love to have that happen. But let's jump into what I want to talk about this week on Sunday Edition. And that is concept development. So I just started watching this new thing on Disney Plus because I don't know if you've been following along for a while, but I subscribe to everything. It's, it, it, I subscribe to all the streaming channels because I'm insane and also I do this. So, like, it's worth it for me to be able to just, like, turn whatever I want to turn on on. And the thing with Disney Plus is a couple years ago, when it first launched, it launched with this series about the Imagineers. And it was really who are the people who design Disneyland. If you've ever been to Disneyland, you're like, this is incredible. It's because of the Imagineers. And the Imagineers are like a force of nature in that company that that company ostensibly protects from itself. And what I mean by that is that like every once in a while you'll get somebody who leads Disney who's like, what if we tear down the Imagineers and the entirety of the rest of the Disney Corporation? It's like, hey, bud. I... I know it's your first week. I know it's your first day. But that's not what we do here. We just throw money into that off into that off section of the offices and we never expect to see it again. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the bottom line is. We we're Disney motherfucker. We basically own Florida. <laughs> we just throw money into the Imagineer. And the Imagineers are going to do what they're going to do. <laughs> do not worry about it. It's worked out pretty well so far. <laughs> and that's, that's a fair amount of that, of that docu-series. If you have access to Disney+, Plus, I encourage you to watch it. But one of the things that people don't... One of the things outside of... People outside of entertainment or creative fields don't always get is con it's like the concepting phase of things like concept artists uh, high level conceptual thought and design about things and it with disney wanting to a appear more open and actually and actually being more open on some level because it has Access and entree now to way more because it's, um, it just bought a ton of shit. <laughs> um, you you're getting things like the Imagineer documentary and now the um documentary on on ILM called called Light and Magic, which is the second two letters of ILM. Um, the first mat first letter is Industrial Industrial Light and Magic, the name of that company. 
they're the effects people behind most of the great effects that you remember. All of the great effects from Star Wars. And... One of the things that's really in vogue for highlighting the creatives, the creative minds behind the film and television and even animation that we that we all love is trying to show their process in a really full way, and that and that didn't always happen. Um, one of the one of the many one of the members of ILM that they interviewed said that he asked his mom after he saw a old school stop motion like creature feature with his mom he it's like how do they do this and the most incredible part of this little story he tells his mom was like basically explained to him what stop motion was just di- didn't knew and knew enough like I'm going to give this kid the real answer it's not magic and the cool thing about that is is that like that started that kid down the path to being the person who worked in industrial who who helped found industrial light and magic there still to this day there are people who believe that the arts and creative fields are not worth much and they're not and i'm i'm constantly surprised at like um friend of the show um slate from the um mcf anime podcast um he told me stories about being made fun of for you know reading manga when he was a kid i'm like dude i'm older than you and like people thought and this is true people straight up said like yeah but you you're cool so <laughs> Like, if you're reading weird comic books from Japan, you must be cool. And all throughout my... Once I started down a, like, a art, artsy, like, an art kid track, everybody kind of saw in me that, like, that was what I was going to do. And that meant... Some odd things happened to me when I was in, like, primary school and high school. I was recognized for poetry when I was in elementary school. Like, they, they, the um, principal of the school straight up, like, was, like, called me to the office, like, could we take these, can we take your poems and frame them and put them on the wall all over the school? And I'm like, uh, sure, why? He's like, because they're really good. I'm like, I... I'm in fifth grade. I don't know what really good means, dude. And then in, I remember in high school, the high school was thinking of doing something. I think they were thinking of like, I forget what they were thinking of doing, but it was involved like a sculpture of some kind or some like, some decision of a visual change to the school. And they called me into the office and asked my opinion. And my reaction was like, are you guys in charge? Why Why are you asking me? And one of the... I think my actual guidance counsel was, said to me, or one of the guidance counselors said to me, because this is what you'll actually do in your life. Like, you're the... 
you are the person going to this school that we have no doubt will not only do this as a will like do a have a creative professional life but be really good at it and everybody believes that like that stuff is really clean until you get your hands in it for the first time but it's not it's not a really clean it's not as clean as everybody wants to think it is so a while back and I probably talked about this on the podcast I went to go see um this exhibit at the Met that was all about um Disney and like French and like early French architecture and like you know early French pottery and stuff and it featured all of these all of this concept art for um Disney characters that you'd never seen before because it was in the because it was like kept by Disney and the like some of it was pretty like innocuous and wasn't gonna cause a problem but then some of it some of it was fucking insane <laughs> like there was a and like you when I say this you'll be of course of course that exists of course why didn't I think this exists there was a there was some concept art art of Lumiere from the Beauty and the Beast that just made Made Lumiere look like he does some crimes. Made Lumiere look like he had, like, crossed the line a lot. Like, he would stab you in an alley. Like, like he looked like a real, real dirty French motherfucker. It was incredible. And, like, like I said, I say that, and you, in your head, are like, no, that makes sense. Like, that, okay. And that's, of course, not what made it to the screen. It's what... But it was, like, probably the start of what Lumiere became, ultimately. In the, in the, in the animated film, at least. And in the live-action film, or whatever we want to call the live-action Disney remakes. Um, I refuse to think of them as live-action, because they are mostly wholly CG, and it's wild. Um... But the long and short of it is that happens in anime and animation as well. And the best way to get a peek behind the curtain on that stuff is to buy art books. Just straight up art books. I have an art book, I believe, for Spirited Away that's gorgeous. It's like, it it shows you all the development of like, all the Spirit Away characters, like, the Radish Spirit, or, like, No Face, or the, even the little chicken guys. Uh, but every once in a while, you get, um, and I suspect, I suspect that this is going to happen less now that they don't have to do it as much. And it may, it's another thing about the, you know, Sony taking over the anime industry, at least in America, the anime, like, licensing industry in America that makes me really sad, is, I remember when Dr., and you can probably go find it on their Instagram, actually, I remember when Dr. Stone was coming out, when the first season of Dr. Stone was coming out, you got this, um, uh, Crunchyroll put out, like, dropped this image on, um, 
Instagram that was of the that was like of the production of Doctor Stone, and like you saw the like you saw the animator desk setup. You saw what kind of machine, what kind of computer. I call computers machines all the time. Um, you saw what kind of computer they were using, and it was this like really. If you knew what you were looking at, it was it was like oh. So animation in the 21st century, cool, 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 cool. But if you didn't, and I remember when I didn't, and I want to be clear about that. If you didn't see, know what you were looking at, you were like, you were probably like, holy shit, this is so cool. This is like, this is actually an animator's workstation that's not put through the... PR machine, if that makes any sense. And there's shows where you can get that realistically, but not in the way that you'd expect. So, every industry that talks about itself, every, like, every industry that talks about itself, has a kind of platonic ideal that kind of sneaks in under the, um, like, under the door after you close it. And what I mean by that is like when you watch show when you watch anime about making anime, there is certainly realism there, but there's also idealized realism there. So let's let's not talk about the obvious one, let's not talk about Shirabako for a chain. Let's talk about the last episode of Golden Boy. Last episode of Golden Boy if you haven't seen Golden Boy, it's it's a show responsible for that swimming clip, for that anime swimming clip that's really insanely um, infamous. Um, but the last episode of it is the main character is working at a animation studio, and he essentially becomes the the project runner, meaning he gets the stuff from like point A to point B. But you meet the animators, you see their desks, and you see that their desk is, like, disheveled. And this, I've, this feels like the real shit, in a way that Shirobako, yes, does. But Shirobako is, like, a celebration of the industry. And the last episode of Golden Boy is more of a attempting, like, focus a lens in on what the industry is, actually. And so, like, that last episode of of Golden Boy feels a lot more grounded even than Shirobako, and yet they're both very grounded, and they're both... And Shirobako has more time to be more realistic, uh, to show you more of the process, but... That last episode of Golden Boy even still has a little bit of idealism in it. And anything that you're seeing put out from a company will have that. Like, the new Light and Magic docuseries, it's very, it's pretty, like, it, it holds its secrets pretty close to the chest. Like, they don't, They say, like, and then we had to change this without telling you, like, 
But first, we had to have an argument with the person who designed this ship about whether or not the ship was worth it to keep. Or, like, first we had to, like, you know, they taught, they were just talking about the designing, the design of the Millennium Falcon, which originally was a very different thing. What they practically did was somebody designed a, a ship originally to be the Millennium Falcon. And then that work was scrapped because it wasn't, George Lucas didn't want it. And it was given to another person. And there was a little hint in the, in the, in the, the, the first episode, in the first episode, where the person who ultimately ended up designing the Millennium Falcon says, the guy who originally designed the ship said, had already completed the, um, to the this satellite dish and this cockpit to be part of the model. And he said, do me a favor. Use the stuff I already finished. <laughs> and that became, that was like a little like peek into like, oh, he wasn't necessarily happy that like, he didn't nail it. And so it was like shuffle. It was like taken away from him and given to somebody else. But he, like, offered up pieces, and the guy designed the ship, took the pieces, and worked, and it all worked out. It's a pretty complicated process, and the other thing is you're dealing with... You're dealing with... All entertainment is commercialized art made to be a consumer product. But all the people who are the best at making that thing are not necessarily always tuned to that. And I... One of the things that people forget is that, like, once you... When you look at some of somebody like, say, Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey or, like, any of the tech founders, they're the... There's a central building block in them that no one really under... That, like, in my mind, people don't probably understand but don't acknowledge as much as they should. And that is, these guys are super capitalists. Like, they're making... They may, like... Facebook was made and continues to exist as, like, a way to print money. On some level, so does Twitter. Yes... Twitter doesn't make a ton of money, but it makes money, or else it couldn't be a company. Facebook prints cash, basically, even after it took a hit from Apple's privacy policies. The thing that people don't understand about that is, like, that has become a prerequisite to being in that world. The thing that is true about the creative field be it, you know, any kind of film or TV production, any kind of anime or animation production, fashion, design, is that... Go, you can start doing that stuff with zero education. But a lot of what art school is, is it is... Training your brain 
to focus that creative energy on a singular point and produce a thing that someone asked for and not just the thing you want to produce. Hopefully you get to the thing you wanted to produce. And in every creative's case, if they're getting paid for their work, the reason they're getting paid for their work is their creativity lines up with something someone will pay for in some way. And, but that's not necessarily self-selecting. So the thing that like, the thing that the ILM documentary on Disney Plus reminded me the most of was actually Science Saru, the studio Science Saru. Um, if you haven't listened to my episode on NUO, definitely go listen to it. It's the episode before the painting stocking one, I believe. Um, but the long and short of it is that like, Inu, uh, Inuo is kind of a total force of animation. And a lot of Science Saru's projects are less just like, oh, hey, this is an anime. They're more animations. They, they, they inspire in the same way that like Bill Plimpton cartoons are. They, they are cartoons in the way the anime is, yes but they work on the same, on a lot of the same principles that traditional Western animation does. They have a lot of squash and stretch. They have a lot of like weight and understanding of like, of sound and all this other stuff. And I'm sure the concepting for Science Sorrow is wild. I'm sure the first things they throw out are up a wall and then they work from there and it just it I own a fair amount of art books obviously not like I own a fair amount of how-to art books and I own a couple actual art books and seeing the early concept phases of anime studios are of studios like Studio Ghibli from the um Spirit Spirit Away art book are yes a lot more a lot more like centered they're not giving you like the first drawing of Chihiro that Hayao Miyazaki ever made they're giving you the character sheet some of the development notes but even that is enough to get you to the idea of like this kind of concept work is super valuable and it it ultimately gets to what you see on screen probably the and this is where i'm gonna end it but probably the best um kind of way way to see this firsthand is to go on a site called art station which is largely a site devoted to conceptual art for the video game industry and there are there are like tons of people on there my work's on there um i haven't made a video game but i put my illustration work on there there are tons of illustrators and 3d models 3d character designers on there but there also occasionally you'll find 
really big names, really like really big deal um, concept artists. Like the, I think I've one of the people I followed the background artist, the background concept artist for Cyberpunk. Now that game came out and was like a hot mess. But it was a hot mess that tons of people put work in on. And the as much as the creative like industries play favoritism and I couldn't help but notice when I was watching the light magic that there was not a single person of color on that staff and there was not a single woman on that staff, at least so far. Um, but the that stuff is all true. But the other thing that is true is it's not necessarily you're only as good as your last game sold in the video game industry. You could have done amazing work for Cyberpunk. And it could have gotten... And it got fucked because the company you were working for fucked it. Not you. And that's the mark of a good hiring manager in the creative field. It's like, they look at your work and they take note like, oh, like I, I've worked I've worked for L'Oreal, I've worked for Century 21, I've worked for AstraZeneca in, in my um, career previously as a graphic as a graphic designer and create and freelance creative in New York City they'll take note that like I work for those companies because that means that I can work at that scale but when I say like I, I've worked for Century 21 their their first thought is not so you worked for a failing business that shut down a couple of years after you left we don't want that kind of we don't want that kind of feel for our company. They look at my resume and they're like, "Oh, he worked for Century Twenty One. He's worked at that scale. What he did there had nothing to do with why they fucked up and bailed out. So that work still has merit, and that's one of the differences between a creative person in like the creative industries and like CEOs." And like the whole executive staff of it all is that our work is valuable regard and it's part of the reason why you hear CEOs kind of try to pitch themselves to creatives all the time, to designers, to you know product specialists and all this other stuff. It's because our work is valuable regardless and a struggle at the lower end of being a creative person, and this is true in any creative field, in in anime, in animation, is you understand, like, the people above you, the people who will hire you, understand that you are necessary. But they do not understand the intrinsic value, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And I've always said, like, you know, any anime that you're watching took an amazing amount of technical effort to create, regardless of whether or not the end product is any good. 
So it deserves respect on that level. But the other thing you have to account is if something isn't necessarily great, doesn't mean that it's not, but like the people working on it, A, aren't great. It could mean that the people working on it are new blood and this is their first attempt at this. It could mean 900 things. And I bet there's probably still, like take for example, the Phoenix Wright cartoon. The, the Phoenix Wright anime. Legendarily bad. Like you can go watch that opening and you feel your soul shake. Or um, an even better example, Handshakers. Handshakers is probably the best example. Handshakers and Wise, Handshakers, like, stealth sequel, which, yes, they gave that thing a sequel. It's hilarious and somehow worse. It are both, like, unfettered creativity and the way I always like to, um, the way I always like to pose Handshakers to people is, imagine a... Full, all but full CGI anime where they only act themselves as they could and never, ever, under any circumstances, act themselves as they should. And you get handshakered, a thing that will make some people physically ill watching it. Um, but you, you look at the, like, core pieces of that, core pieces of the creativity of that show, and it's not bad. It's just done in an absolutely unhinged, unmitigated way. Um, so I, I just was watching this documentary on ILM, and I... The thought of cons... Of the value of conceptual... Like... Thinking in the production of entertainment got stuck in my head and I thought I'd make the Sunday edition about it. So if you like this episode, new episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and every other Sunday and let people know about it. I'm trying to get this podcast to 100,000 listens and I hope I get there. On that note, I've been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio Sunday edition and I will talk to you on Thursday.